Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Robbie. Open your Bibles with me this morning, please, to Colossians chapter 1. And we are going to be studying together the last several verses of this chapter. Colossians chapter 1. Okay. Let me just read a few verses for you. I want to read verses 25 through the end of the chapter. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's just bow for prayer as we begin. Our God and Father, as we enter your presence now, Lord, I do so asking that you will please accompany me as I seek to share the word of God today. Lord, this is your word. I want it to be clear to your people that they might have understanding. Help me to do my part in that, Lord, but I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in us, in our minds, and in our hearts to teach us not only what you say, but how to put it into practice in our lives. Lord, I need your help this morning. I'm physically weak of body, but I'm so thankful, O Lord, that you are glorious in strength and that you can enable me in my moment of weakness to experience that strength. Use this time to bring glory to yourself and to you alone, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we didn't quite finish the final point that we were making about reconciliation. And I need to begin there to lay a foundation to finish off this thought and then to move into the next section of the scripture. We were talking about reconciliation. A reconciler comes between two opposing parties. There is a problem in the middle, something that is keeping them apart. The mediator comes in the middle, deals with the problem between them, and brings them back together. Now, the Lord Jesus came to be that one mediator between a holy God and sinful mankind. And when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, in his body he carried our sins. And he paid the price that our sins might be forgiven forever. 
That was how he accomplished the reconciliation. He, as it were, hanging on the cross, raises one hand to the holy God and one hand down to sinful man, and he brings us back together through faith in him. As we were closing last time, we were talking about the purpose of the reconciliation. And I want to back up and read for you. Notice in verse 22 it says, In the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. We talked about this last week and said that even as we present our bodies to God, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, that same word present is the word used here where Jesus one day will present you and me to the Father in heaven. And when he does so, he will present us holy, totally separated to God from all sin, from all worldly defilement, from Satan, from all things that oppose God. And one day we're going to stand before the Lord to be absolutely holy before him. Aren't you looking forward to that day? Sin, not only gone, but forgotten forever and will never, ever, ever be brought up again. He will also present us to the Father without blemish. No spots, no wrinkles. There will be no evidence of sin's influence in our lives. Both physically, we will have a glorified body, and of course, spiritually, in our spirit, we will be totally conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And lastly, we'll be unreprovable. Not only will we be free of the blemish, but we will be free from the charge of sin also. Imagine standing before the Lord one day and knowing that no one will be able to point a single finger at you and point out something that is displeasing to God. Again, we look forward to that day, amen? And he will present us in the sight of God, literally. It means to look down into something. It speaks of the searching and penetrating gaze of God. And as I finished last time, I said to you this. God is going to look at you when you get to heaven. And he's going to really see you. He's going to see every part of you, everything about you. And when he looks at you, there will be nothing displeasing in his sight. I, 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 I can't even imagine that. I really can't. I want to. I know it's going to be glorious, but I can't imagine because I'm so aware of my sinfulness now. I'm so aware of how many times I fail the Lord, either by my words or by my deeds or by my, my, my thoughts, my attitudes, my motives. So easy for us to sin, but one day when we get to glory, he will look in a penetrating way into our hearts as believers, and all he will see is Christ fully formed in us. And that's what we anticipate with excitement. Now, we've been talking about several things about the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's one final point to talk with you about today, that Jesus Christ indwells us. He indwells us. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about the fact that it is generally the Holy Spirit who we think of as the one who indwells us and is in us. 
But Jesus promised that all who love the Father, that the Father and the Son would come to live in us forever. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives today. And this final truth about Christ is so important. Aren't you glad that he's not just way up in heaven somewhere, he's way off in the distance, but rather he's right here inside. He's with us all the time. But then he begins the next verse with this word, if. All of that will be true if. Some people have looked at this verse and thought the word if suggested there might be some question as to whether it would actually take place. But the word here, and we talked again last week about this, it means assuming you continue in the faith. Assuming you continue in the faith. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about what it means to continue in the faith. He says, continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Paul is saying, assuming that you continue in the faith, that means you persist in the faith, you adhere to the faith, you stay with the faith, you abide in the faith. Well, how does one do that? Is that something we do in our own strength? No, of course not. But the Bible teaches clearly that when we do receive Christ as our personal Savior, something takes place in our life. First of all, he said, we need to continue in the faith grounded. Grounded. To lay a foundation is the word here. Folks, listen, you and I, the moment we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, had a foundation that was laid in our lives. And that foundation is Jesus Christ himself. Now this particular verb is in the perfect participle in the Greek. And I know I don't know any more about that than, than maybe you do in terms of personal knowledge of the Greek. But I know that that's the truth. It's in the perfect participle. And it means an action that was completed in the past that has present results. Something happened in the past but it's an ongoing thing that's still existent today and in fact always will be. Now how are we grounded? I think this passage really helps us to understand this truth. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers and he talks to them about the fact that he had been the one to bring, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to Corinth. He had come and he had preached the gospel and through his preaching, these people had been saved. He says, according to the grace of God which was given to me, that means the enabling of God, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Now folks, when you're going to build a house, the most important thing is the foundation, right? If you have a poor foundation, the house will not stand. Paul says, I am a wise master builder. So what did I do? He said, I laid the foundation and another builds on it. Now, in the Corinthian church, there were arguments as to who they ought to follow. Do we follow Jesus? Do we follow Paul? Do we follow Peter? 
Do we follow Apollos? These were all men of God, used of God. Obviously, Jesus was the Son of God. But they were tending to have cliques within the church and follow certain men. And Paul is trying to make clear that when it comes to the gospel, ultimately, the only one that is important is Jesus Christ himself. He is the foundation in our lives. So we don't follow Paul. We don't follow Peter. We don't follow Apollos. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the foundation. But other people, after we got saved, other people have ministered to us. Other people have taught us the word of God. They are building on the foundation. They're putting up the walls and helping build the roof. They're helping to put in the windows in our lives, spiritually speaking. But Jesus Christ is the foundation. If you don't get the right foundation, the rest of the house won't matter at all. So he said, I laid a foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. By the way, this passage is a warning to ministers of the gospel, to pastors, evangelists, to the apostles, to the prophets of the time. It was a warning to them to be careful how they build on the foundation of Christ in the lives of people. We need to make sure that we teach you proper doctrine, sound doctrine, that your life and your growth in Christ is based upon what God says, not what men think. Notice now verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is who? It is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. Now he says, not only if you continue, you continue grounded. He says, you continue settled in the faith. Literally, that means firmly established. Firmly established. You know, God wants you to be a solid rock kind of Christian. He wants you to be a stable believer, believer firmly established on the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Paul could not perceive the outward profession of these Colossian believers. You see, someone could say, I'm a Christian. I've trusted Christ. But you can say those words and not actually be a Christian. He could only perceive outwardly what they said. He could not possibly know the inward condition of their hearts, whether they possessed the Lord Jesus as their foundation or not. And there's only one way to tell whether someone has the foundation of Christ is if they continue to follow him. Now this word is very important. He says, if you continue. It isn't, oh, I believed him when I was a kid, but now that I'm grown up, I just do my own thing. No. If you truly receive Christ as your personal Savior, whatever age that was, you began to walk with Jesus Christ. It was a relationship established. And you live in that relationship for the rest of your life until you depart to be wet with the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. You and I need to continue in the faith as evidence, as a demonstration to the world that we're really Christians. Listen. If you say, I'm a Christian today, and live like a non-Christian tomorrow, do you really think people are going to believe you? I assure you, they won't. Uh, in every church that I have pastored, including this one, in the process of doing visitation in homes in the community, I have had people say, does so-and-so attend your church? Yes, they do. Let me tell you some stories about so-and-so. And then they start 
piling me all these things that, that uh, they feel are wrong about that individual. Say, does that happen? Did that happen here? Yes, that's happened here. I just want to tell you today, folks, listen, this is so important. The way you live your life will demonstrate to others whether you're truly a Christian or not. It isn't what you say. You can say you're a Christian, but if you are not living like Christ or seeking to the best of your ability with the help of the Spirit to live like Christ, no one is going to believe you. Now, God knows your heart. He knows whether you're really saved or not. He knows from the moment you're saved and He knows all your life, even when you're not walking with the Lord. God knows that you belong to Him. But the world will never know. And Paul could look at these people and say, Boy, I don't know. You're saying this, but this is the way you're living. He said, you say you're Christians, but there's divisions and strife among you? Should that exist among Christians? And the answer to that is no. It should not exist. Are you continuing in the gospel? If you're not continuing in the gospel, then you have to ask yourself if you're in the gospel at all. How can we know if someone is a true Christian? It is not by what they say, but by what they do, by continuing in the truth. We studied this verse not all that long ago in the morning service. 1 John 2, verses 3 to 5. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Do you notice what it says? We know that we know him. In other words, we know we're truly saved if we what? Keep his commandments. Now, does anyone do that perfectly? No. But the point is, is the general direction of your life toward obedience with God? Are you seeking day by day to live in obedience to God? He who says, I know him, in other words, he who says, I'm a Christian, and does not keep his commandments is a what? It's a liar. Now, folks... People are going to look at you and me and they're going to determine in their minds whether they think we're Christians based upon how we live. What would your unsaved family and friends say about you? Would they look at you and say, well, not perfect, obviously nobody can be perfect, but that person really is a Christian. I know that they love God, and I know that they're seeking to walk with God and to please God. I may not agree with everything they do or everything they believe, but I really think they're trying to please God in their life. Is that what your friends and family would say about you? And they will evaluate how you live to be able to make that determination says he's a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word truly the love of God is perfected in him by this we know that we are in him is the love of God being carried out in your life day by day and how you treat others and how you talk to others and how you deal with circumstances and situations in your life is the love of God being manifested through you? What he's saying is, if you're really saved, you have this life within you, it has to manifest itself. And if you're living a life and have no true interest in the things of God, you're not spending time in the Word of God, you're not pursuing the Lord in prayer, you're not seeking to share Jesus Christ with the lost in the world, you're not obeying the commandments of the Lord, if those things are unimportant to you, you need to look within and say, am I really a Christian or am I just a liar? Is the truth in me? Or is it not? Because if it's in me, it's going to come out of me in the way in which I live 
my life. Some of these people were in danger of turning and shifting from the hope of the gospel to the error of Judeo-Gnosticism. We talked about that at the very beginning of this study. It was a combination of truths connected to Judaism, like the practice of circumcision, that they believed was required for salvation. But then also Gnosticism, which was only the beginnings of that belief system were at that time, but it later in the second century developed into a full-blown organization and group. But what they taught was that uh, you worshipped angels, that uh, angels helped be mediators between you and God, and so you had to worship angels to be able to get to God. They believed that there was this higher knowledge that you had to attain to if you're ever going to be saved. And they were believing all of these things. And some of these people who had professed faith in Christ were in danger of turning away from Christ to go back under that old system. And so as Paul is writing to the Colossians, he said, listen, I'm, I'm telling you that if you truly are saved, you need to continue in the truth you've received. Don't go back to what you believed before. The reason you turned to Christ was because that old system didn't work. It couldn't save you. You turned to Christ, and now you're in danger of listening to these voices, these false teachers, and going back. You say, is that a true Christian? They can lose their salvation. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's saying is that there are some people who profess faith in Jesus Christ who never get saved. I said it last week. Sorry, I've got to get my chair here. I said it last week to you. Now I can't remember what I said to you last week. Sorry about that. Uh, where was I? Oh, yes. It's possible for someone to pray a prayer and say things like this God I know I'm a sinner I believe Jesus died for me on the cross and rose again from the dead I ask Jesus to come into my heart in Jesus name amen now a lot of people have prayed a prayer similar to that and they assume because they said those words to God in prayer that they were automatically saved let me just back up for a moment and tell you, the Bible never requires a prayer. Now, I personally like to lead someone in prayer because it helps to make it a more concrete decision in their minds, but you don't have to pray a prayer. The Ethiopian eunuch was riding along in a chariot, and he says, what hinders me to be baptized? And Philip, the evangelist, said, if you believe in Christ... I'll baptize you, but you have to, what? You have to believe. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He made that declaration. And Philip stopped and he baptized him. Because he had declared his faith. He didn't pray. He didn't stop and say, okay, well, let, quick, let, I'll pray and ask Jesus into my heart. Look for a verse anywhere and you won't find one that talks about asking Jesus into your heart. Doesn't appear in the Bible anywhere. So, praying a prayer is not the key. And there's no magical words. Oh, I repeated exactly what they told me, so I followed the formula. There's no formula. 
Salvation is based upon an act of faith in Jesus Christ. It's coming to him and saying, Jesus Christ, I know who I am. A sinner, lost, unable to save myself. I know who you are, God's Son, who died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the dead. Jesus, I turn from my sins to follow you. I trust in you for my salvation. You can do that with thoughts in your mind. He knows what you think. Now the Bible talks about confessing with your mouth. And I think what he's saying is, once you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're going to want to tell everybody. Don't get too excited about that, folks. When you get good news, don't you share it with other people? Well, you need to confess Jesus before the world too and tell them why you have a new life. But folks, listen, it's the act of faith that saves. This is why it's so important. When you trust in the Lord Jesus, I'm going to just say, I said some words. You have to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And you need to be trusting in Him and in Him alone for your forgiveness of sins and for eternal life. I want to give you this illustration that Jesus gave. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gave the story of the four types of soil. This is just one of them. Here in verses 5 and 6 is the original parable that Jesus gave. The next passage is Jesus explaining these two verses. So let me read the first two. Some of the seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Now the physical story is the seed goes into the ground, but there's so little earth that roots cannot develop. And what happens? When the sun comes out, what happens to that plant? It withers and dies. Now they come to Jesus later and say, we're not sure we understand that. What did that mean? This is what Jesus said. But he who received the seed on stony places, this, listen, is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Now, if I stopped right there, you know what most people would say? They got saved, right? They immediately received the seed of the word with joy. And I want to tell you, I have prayed with people having explained the best that I could, and they prayed to receive Jesus as their Savior, and literally within a week when I would go to look for them and say, I didn't really mean it. I'm not going to follow through. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to do... I, I just wanted to be sure I wouldn't go to hell someday. I got news for you. That's not what salvation's for. Now, salvation will keep you from hell, but that's not why God saves you. God saves you so that you can become like Jesus Christ. That's why he saves you. He wants to transform your life. So you can hear the gospel and say, oh yeah, I want to go to heaven. That's why we've got to be so careful how we present the gospel. The gospel is not an invitation to go to heaven. The gospel is an invitation to repent of sin and follow Jesus Christ. He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Now here's the next word, yet. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. What is the implication here? The proof he's not really saved is that he doesn't what? He doesn't continue. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. You know, there are some people who pray the prayer to ask Jesus into their hearts. They go home and tell their family. Their family has a conniption fit, and they walk away and never follow Jesus. I've seen it happen again and again and again and again down through the years. And maybe it's not their family. Maybe it's the world. Maybe it's their friends. And their friends mock them. Their friends give them a hard time. And they just say, look, it's not worth it. It's not worth having all this trouble. No root. They do not endure. There can be no fruit. And the Bible is very clear that you know someone to be real because of their fruit, not because of their words. I said it last week. Salvation is not a declaration. Salvation is a transformation. A changed life. And if you get saved today, you know what? You won't be perfect tomorrow, but you're going to try to do the best you can to please God. And the next day, you're going to try again. Try, you may have to keep getting up after falling down. But the Bible says the righteous man falls seven times and he gets up. And he comes back to God and he keeps going. That's what a true Christian does. A true Christian is not perfect. A true Christian is a person who is trusting in Jesus Christ to make him more like Christ himself. And so, folks, you may have prayed a prayer at some point in your life. But if there is not ongoing change and transformation taking place in your life today, you have to ask yourself, am I telling a lie? Am I really not a Christian? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7? He said, on that day, many shall say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great works in your name? And Jesus will, and, and they give these great works like, you know, doing miracles and raising the dead. How many have done those things this week? You haven't done anything great like that. They said, we did all this for you, Jesus, in your name. And Jesus will look at them and say, I never knew you. Folks, that's sobering. That's why you've got to make sure you've done more than just prayed the prayer. But you actually put actively your faith in Christ. And today you know it's true because you're following Him. Not perfectly, but you're trying. You're striving. You're depending on the Spirit to do that. And so it's very important. He says you need to be rooted, grounded. Oh, i got to go back here. Notice he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not what? Moved away from the hope of the gospel. What is the hope of the gospel? Christ is the hope of the gospel. Did you notice that verse that I read this morning? Verse 27, he says, Christ in you, the what? The hope of glory. You and I know we'll get to heaven because Jesus is going to get us there because we're trusting in him to get us there and to transform us. And he says, if you move away from the hope of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ himself, 
He says, there's no hope. You cannot say today, I'm following the Judeo-Gnostics here. Now I'm trusting Jesus. Now tomorrow I'm going back to the Judeo-Gnostics. Then I'm going to try this group over here and try that group over there. And I can't tell you how many people through the years who said, oh, I've tried them all one time or another. I'll find the right one after all. I tell you, there's only one right one, and that's Jesus Christ. Not this church, but Jesus Christ himself. He's the only Savior. Paul goes on to say this. He said, which was preached, this gospel, this hope of the gospel, was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. What he's saying is, listen, we are out there doing the job of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He and the other apostles and others who had received the Lord as their Savior were out preaching Christ, it says, everywhere, to every creature under heaven. Folks, everyone has the right to hear the gospel. We need to make sure that every last person in our community and in our state and in our country and in our world has the opportunity to hear of Jesus Christ and his love. And then he says this, of which I, Paul, became a what? He said, I became a minister. Now this is very interesting because he said, I became a minister. I became one. I want to suggest to you folks that a minister is not something that you make yourself. A minister is someone who is called and equipped by God to minister the Word of God. You can't be a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary or a preacher of some kind just because you want to. You need to know that God has called you to that task and that he has equipped you with the spiritual gifts that you need to fulfill that responsibility. And Paul said, I became a minister. Now, how did he become a minister? Well, it was a process. And God told Paul from the very day that he got saved, he said, I want to show you how many things you must suffer for me. You're going to go all over the world, you're going to go to kings, and you're going to go to common people, you're going to preach the gospel, but you are going to suffer. Paul writes this, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. This is the passage we've just been reading. My sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Let's just stop there for this moment. Paul said, I was made a minister. I became one who ministers. And the truth is, those who are in ministry full-time develop in their ability to minister as the years go on, as they live in obedience to God and under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to remember, folks, every one of us have been called to be ministers of Christ. Every one of us has been given at least one spiritual gift, and we need to use it for the glory of God. And by the way, every one of us has been called by God to share the gospel with the lost. Now, some of us may be more effective than others, but every one of us needs to give testimony to what Christ has done in our lives. He says, I have been made to rejoice now by virtue of suffering. Now is a word of being something temporal. Aren't you glad the suffering is not going to be forever? 
Aren't you glad that even if you pay a price for following Jesus today, there's going to come a day, the Bible says, when there will be rest for the people of God. Now, he said, in my sufferings, in the midst of my sufferings, he said, I am learning to be a minister. Now, how could Paul rejoice in sufferings? How many of you, in the middle of suffering, say, I am so thankful for suffering, I hope I get a whole lot more this coming week? Anyone do that? Do you ever say that? I want more suffering this week? No, we don't want that. I believe that Paul had to learn how to rejoice in sufferings because it's not natural to us, right, in our nature. In Acts chapter 16, verses 23 to 25, Paul wrote this, or said this, And when they had laid many, what? Stripes upon them. Can you imagine being horsewhipped? When they laid many stripes upon them, they cast them where? Into prison. So they've been beaten, they've been, they've been whipped, they've been thrown into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, I don't think that is a good setup for a good night's sleep. But notice what it says happened here. And at midnight, Paul and Silas complained to God. Is that what it says? It says they prayed, but they did what? Did they complain? Did they criticize God? Did they say, why did you do this to me? Why did you permit this? Why this suffering? No. It says Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Imagine being in jail being able to rejoice in Christ in jail. You're there because of your faith in Jesus and because your faithful service to him and you're in jail and you've been beaten and you're suffering but you're praising God and everyone around you, these other prisoners who I'm sure were not in prison for proclaiming Christ. They were in sin for some crime they had done. They're listening to these men. You know what happens after this? There's an earthquake and these men are set free. But the Philippian jailer is afraid that they have gotten away. And in that time, if you were the jailer and you let somebody get loose and free, they would take your life in the place of those prisoners. And he thought he was going to die. And he runs in to Paul and Silas when this earthquake takes place. And he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, does he mean say physically? No, because nobody's left the prison. He's not going to die. He has heard them singing praises to God all night, talking about Jesus, talking about salvation, and everyone has been listening, including the jailer. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus and Paul's response to him was this. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe on Jesus. Put your trust in him. Don't believe just in Jesus. Believe on Jesus. It's resting your faith, resting your trust on Jesus alone for eternal salvation. And it says that that Philippian jailer that night not only got saved, but he and his family as well, and they all got baptized and became followers of the Lord. Folks, listen, in suffering, 
Paul learned to pray and to praise God. And God used the suffering to bring people to himself. Paul recognized several things about himself. I'm going to share these three and we'll be done for today. Paul recognized that he was less than the least of the saints. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. What does that mean? Do you think it was Paul was putting himself down here? You think he was saying, oh, I'm a worthless nobody. I'm just no good. Is that what he's saying, doing here? This is not his attitude. You know what he's saying? He's saying simply this. He said, you know what? When I look at everybody else that is a saint, that is a believer, that is a Christian, he said, I just always think of them as more important than myself. I, I put everybody else ahead of myself. See, if Paul had put himself first, he wouldn't have gone through the suffering. If Paul had put himself first, he wouldn't have gone to preach where he knew people were going to beat him and throw him in jail. He wouldn't have done that. He would have avoided it. But he said, no, I'm the least of the saints. He said, I, I put them ahead of myself. They're more important than me. So he says, I'm willing to suffer whatever I have to suffer if they can come to Christ and grow and be helped spiritually. Secondly, he says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. It isn't that he wasn't an apostle. It isn't that he didn't fulfill the responsibilities of an apostle. It isn't that he didn't have the qualifications of an apostle. But when he looked at himself, his attitude was, you know, I'm not worthy for such a privilege to be able to hold this position. I'm not worthy of this. And lastly, he said it was a privilege to be allowed to share and even supplement the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. He said, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. I want to ask you something. Has Jesus not suffered enough for us for our salvation? What he did on the cross, was it enough or do we have to add to it? It was enough, wasn't it? What Jesus did was enough. So what does he mean? I fill up that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Well, literally, he says, I fill up in turn. In other words, I'm doing my part in suffering so that people can be saved. That's what he's talking about here. Not to provide their salvation. Only Christ could provide salvation. But we suffer to proclaim salvation. As we go out and share Christ with people, we find opposition from people. They don't want to hear it. First of all, because they don't want to acknowledge their sinners. They don't want to repent and turn to Christ. They will look at us and say, you know, we're holier than thou and we're putting them down. But that's not what we're doing. We're trying to help them find Christ just as we sinners had to come to know Jesus too. And as we proclaim Christ, it will not be popular. Jesus died on the cross. He's the only one that could do that. But we suffer to share that message with the world. And I close with this verse, 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. For to this you were what? You were called. You weren't called just to salvation. To this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Even as he suffered, we too will suffer. He suffered for sin. We suffer to proclaim the gospel who committed no sin, that is, Jesus committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. What he's saying is this, as the Lord Jesus suffered, he didn't attack, 
He didn't turn on those that were trying to hurt him. The Bible says very clearly that he committed himself to the one who judges righteously. He committed himself to God. And he said, that's the example you and I need to follow. When we are suffering as we proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ in the world, we need to not attack those who attack us. We need to commit ourselves to God, knowing that he will take care of us. Folks, the question today, and it's very important, it's not have you prayed a prayer to ask Jesus into your life. The question is, have you continued to follow Christ? If you prayed that prayer years and years and years and years ago, but you're really not following him today, that's probably evidence that what you did was just say a prayer. You didn't actually put your faith and trust in Jesus and rested on him as your only hope of salvation. We need him today. We need him as much as the day we got saved. We need him not only for our salvation, but to sustain our salvation and then to help us to live a life that's pleasing to God. We need Christ. We need to continue in him with a strong, firm foundation of Christ laid in our lives and then building on top of that foundation. We need to be strengthened in the inner man. We need to be growing in the Lord. We need to be growing in understanding. We need to be living in obedience. And this will be the evidence that we're truly saved that we have not moved away from the gospel, but that we have trusted Christ as our personal Savior. Let's just pray. Father, Lord, I just want to pray that you would be working in every heart today. I know it's possible, Lord, to have folks that come here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and they maybe prayed a prayer at one point in their life, but Lord, there was little earth and there was no root that was firmly grounded. And their relationship is completely superficial. But Lord, what they need is to have the foundation of Christ laid in their lives and to be strengthened in the inner man. They need to be growing in you, firmly established seeking to live in obedience to your word every day, wanting to honor you and to please you and to obey you, to live for you, to proclaim you, to witness to the lost, to be faithful in church, not just attendance, but also in serving within the church and serving the body of Christ. Lord, all of these things need to be true of us if we say that we know you, but these things are not in our lives. Lord, we have to ask ourselves if we truly know you at all. And so, Lord, if there's someone here today that maybe prayed their prayer but is not truly saved, that you would convict them today and help them to see that they need not only to believe Jesus died and rose again, they need to commend their lives to you now and forever and begin to follow you day by day by day. It's not the following that saves us. The following proves that we have made that choice to follow him. And Lord, when it's real... It comes into our practice day by day. Lord, bless your word to our hearts. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask today, is there anyone here? By raising your hand, you'd say, you know, I, I prayed the prayer. But the honest truth is, I really haven't continued. I haven't really followed Christ. I'm not doing what I know I'm supposed to do as a Christian. And I'm not sure if I've just lied to myself about being a Christian or if I truly am one. 
You say, I want to make sure today that I truly am a child of God. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. And I want to really put my trust in Him and in Him alone. Not only for my salvation, but for His help to be able to live my life every day for the glory of God. Is there anyone like that? Would you just raise your hand where you are? I'll not embarrass you. I just want to pray for you as we close. Is there anyone at all? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the one that has to do the work not me. You work in hearts, and I pray that your spirit, Lord, would make this very evident to any who might be here, Lord, still not sure of their eternal salvation. Thank you for what Christ did for us on the cross. Thank you that what he did was enough. We don't have to add to it. But thank you that when we receive it, Lord, by faith, it transforms us. It makes us into new creatures in Christ. The old things pass away. Everything becomes new, and we begin to walk with you and to follow you. Oh, Lord, help my brothers and sisters this week in walking with you to live in a way that truly pleases you. And we'll be careful to praise you, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand Him better and the truth He's laid out for us in His Word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website and just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things, for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.